we're talking about imposter syndrome. So what is imposter syndrome? Well, it's a term that was coined in the 70s by psychologist Dr. Pauline Clance and Suzanne Imez. And it's used to describe high-achieving people who don't recognize their accomplishments. They feel like they're a fraud and that their success must be an accident or a mistake. It has nothing to do with them. Thomas Edison, Richard Branson, John F. Kennedy, Mozart, Michael Jordan, Will Smith. That sounds like a list of highly successful titans in a variety of vocations. Why is it that we rarely hear that they have or had ADHD? And you know what we hear even less about? Serena Williams, Emma Watson, Mel Robbins, Whoopi Goldberg, Agatha Christie, Aaron Brockovich, Cher. Yeah, the successful women navigating ADHD. And that's exactly why I started this podcast, ADHD for Smartass Women. I'm your host, Tracy Otsuka. I'm a lawyer, not a doctor, a lifelong student, now a coach. I'm also the creator of Your ADHD Brain is A-OK, a system that helps people like you figure out what they should do with their life. And we're here today to talk ADHD, your strengths, your symptoms, your workarounds, and how you proudly stand out instead of trying to fit in. I credit my ADHD for some of my greatest gifts. And you know what? I spy a happier life for you too. So without further ado, a shiny new episode is starting now. Hello, I'm your host, Tracy Otsuka. Thank you so much for joining me here for episode number 183 of ADHD for Smartass Women. I hope you'll subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter over at tracyoutsuka.com. You know my purpose. It's always to show you who you are and then, of course, inspire you to be it. In the thousands of ADHD women that I've had the privilege of meeting, I've never met a one that wasn't truly brilliant at something, not one. So today, we're not going to start out by writing a review because I just realized I forgot to prepare it, but I'm going to remind you that reviews really do help in getting the word out and that you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts, which would be on your Mac or on your phone. And I didn't even know this, but you can also leave a review on Spotify. So my lovely assistant Leiden prepared a document with images and text that will literally walk you through step-by-step on how to write a review. And you can find instructions at spyhappy.me forward slash review. We'll put that in the show notes. So if this podcast has made a difference in your life, please, please, please leave us a review. It really does make a difference. Again, you can go to spyhappy.me forward slash review, and there are photos and texts and all that to show you exactly how to do it. We made it super easy. Okay, so let's start. Every day, I meet amazingly brilliant ADHD women who cannot see their brilliance. They may have gotten themselves through medical school, law school, They may be running a million, multi-million dollar company, 
or they may be a C-suite executive, a professor, a thought leader. But because they struggle with administrative tasks in their business, or they struggle with numbers, or they struggle with care tasks at home, which women are somehow doing 75% of, what the hell with that, right? That is what they focus on, all the stuff that they struggle with. So even though they are so, 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 so truly brilliant in their area of expertise and interest, they still think that they're a fraud because they struggle so much in these other areas. And if this is what's going on with really high-performing ADHD women, I guess that does not bode well for the rest of us who are still trying to figure out, like, where is my place in life, right? Where do I need to be? What is my area of interest? So what are we talking about? Yep, we're talking about imposter syndrome. So what is imposter syndrome? Well, it's a term that was coined in the 70s by psychologist Dr. Pauline Clance and Suzanne Imez. And it's used to describe high-achieving people who don't recognize their accomplishments. They feel like they're a fraud and that their success must be an accident or a mistake. It has nothing to do with them. So we're talking about smart, accomplished, successful women who just don't believe that their success is deserved. And I'm pretty confident that many of you who are listening can probably relate to what I'm saying. And I think I'm in large part pretty confident of it because I hate to tell you this, but I can relate to it sometimes. You know, I think ADHD actually causes imposter syndrome, especially in women. And I wonder if most of the people who have imposter syndrome aren't actually somewhere on the ADHD spectrum. I mean, it makes sense, right? That if you're always masking, you're always working harder than everyone else to keep up, whether that's in school, your career, or at home, even though you may be very, very good and talented at specific things, brilliant actually, you somehow have the sense that You're a lot like that proverbial swan, right, who's peacefully gliding across the water. But under the water, you are paddling like hell just to keep up. And you might be hiding this struggle from others, like coworkers and friends and family, which causes a lot of shame. Other students, right? Many of us, too, we aren't good at the things that are valued in school, and so We may get out of school thinking, we're just not good at anything. No, we just don't know what we're good at. Because this is the thing. Let's say that you're a professor, okay? And you teach, oh, I don't know, let's say physics. Yikes, right? (laughs) Physics in my brain don't go well together. But anyway, you're absolutely brilliant at physics. It's a subject of huge interest for you. And you are a wonderful physics professor. You love your students. They think you are amazing. You love the subject. You feel like you're making an impact. You love your job. Except for all of those pesky little administrative details. You're always behind on all those little administrative details. You're staying up until all hours, getting grades into grade books and filling out whatever form your department needs. You struggle with scheduling and appointments, whatever it is, whatever the things are that you just don't do well, right? So you feel very confident about your skills and abilities as a teacher, but 
oh my gosh, if anyone found out how bad you were at keeping this administrative stuff together, you'd lose your job. You certainly wouldn't be respected and you probably couldn't find another job. So we're not going to tell anybody. Don't let anyone know. You're not really good at your job. You're not really an expert. You're a fraud. The other thing is we struggle with attention. The nature of ADHD is we get lost in our thoughts more, right? We try and pay attention, but we aren't always successful. Suddenly we realize that we're in the middle of a meeting and we have not paid any attention. We have no idea where the meeting is even going, where it's been, right? So we try and hide the fact that we haven't a clue. And that too causes shame. So instead of focusing on what's being said, we're now focused even more on shaming ourselves for not paying attention. And then that ensures that we're not hearing anything. So what else about our ADHD brains might contribute to imposter syndrome? Well, we don't celebrate our successes, right? There's something called reward deficiency syndrome that's very common with those of us with ADHD. And it has to do with the malfunction in the brain reward cascade. So specifically, we just don't make enough dopamine, right? And that affects our reward pathways. And that means we may feel less motivation, right, to work towards a reward. But once we do and we're working towards our goal and we actually reach it, so we get to the reward, we feel less satisfaction from this reward than someone without reward deficiency syndrome. And that's because we haven't taken the time to build it up, right, in our mind and get excited about it. So I always use the term post-final depression. And I just coined that phrase when I was in college. And I would realize that, you know, my friends and I, we would decide that we were going to do some special things to reward ourselves once finals were over. And that kind of kept us going, right? And so we would get to the exams everything would be over. And my friends were so excited about celebrating. And I would be sitting there going, why is everyone so excited? This just does not even like, it's so um, unimpactful. You know, by the time I would get to the point where finals were over and I could actually celebrate. And so that's why I coined it that period, you know, of time as post-final depression, because I would no longer be excited at all. In fact, I would be a little depressed that I would reach the goal and I would feel so excited about the fact that I reached the goal. It was kind of like, oh, well, what's next? So why is that? Well, we value receiving the reward more than anticipating the reward, which is the reverse of what non-ADHD individuals experience. Most people get more pleasure from looking forward to things, but since we don't, once it comes, again, it's kind of like, oh, well, what's the next challenge? Let's move on to the next thing. And this is exactly why many of us can be so successful running and chasing after one achievement after another and accomplishing these achievements, these goals, right? And not celebrating any of it. So we're just on to that next thing. And so it's no wonder we never feel like we've accomplished enough, which is another reason why those of us who have ADHD might have more imposter syndrome. 
We also might not trust our success, which may be why we don't celebrate it, right? We're not sure that we can recreate it because, you know, we're so consistently inconsistent at times. So instead, we get back to work worrying about the next deadline or goal, not sure if we can achieve it. What else? Well, we can be really hypercritical of ourselves. You know, we spend time dwelling on what we do wrong rather than what we do right. We're good at hyperfocusing and ruminating. So when we're done and everything went so well, we're not focusing on what went well, right? There's always something that we could do better. And so those are the things that we will pay attention to. We will look for all the things that didn't go as well as we would have liked them to go rather than basking in the glory of a job well done. And that, if left unchecked, it spills over to its lovely little cousin, comparisonitis, right? Well, my colleague didn't need to prepare as much as I did. He just walked right in, gave his presentation, and everyone loved him. And so I think mine wasn't as good, and I worked so much harder. So because I worked so much harder, and mine wasn't as good, so I think, right? That must mean that I'm not as smart. I'm not as likable. I'm not as knowledgeable. I'm just plain not as good. And I think that many of us, too, start out feeling like frauds in school, right? So we develop this pattern when we're younger. It's hard for us to get our work done, to sit still, to not talk so much, to not be so exuberant. So we can't be ourselves. So why wouldn't we feel like frauds? There's also another imposter syndrome that may very well apply here. And I've seen it called inverse imposter syndrome. So if you're really smart and you've never had to study or work as hard as your peers, you just kind of slide in on a dime all the time and pull it out of the bag at the last minute. You feel like you're just skating by, which you kind of are, right? And at some point, it is going to catch up with you. People are going to discover that you're actually not that smart and you've gone through life half-assing everything. So of course you must be a fraud. Maybe you're really smart at connecting things and you can absorb most of what needs to be learned in class, but then you go to finish your PhD, right? You need the dissertation and you can't even start. By then, everyone thinks you're so smart, but you know the truth because in your mind, if you were really smart, this would be done already. And if you don't know you have ADHD at that point, you're just convinced that A, you're not very smart, and or B, that you're just lazy. And again, oh my gosh, what if someone finds out? You know, I think my son had a little of this. He's so smart that he doesn't really have to study that much, but he also, he just learns differently. So if his teacher or professor now assigns a book about an event in history, he'll go look for an online outline and he'll skim the book and then find every YouTube video that he can find about the event. So ultimately, he knows more than his classmates who just read the book. And usually he does great. But if he has a teacher who's so fixated or a professor who's so fixated on the specifics of the book, a professor who, let's say, keeps exams really narrow and doesn't really value independent thought, sometimes when he goes to take the exam, that doesn't work out so well because, again, the professor is asking about little tiny details in the book that he never read. So 
what can we do to combat imposter syndrome? Well, I think, first of all, we have to deal with the shame. And I know I've spoken about Brene Brown before. Um, she's a professor in social work, and she's amazing. She did her first TED Talk, I think, in 2011 on the power of vulnerability, and it just completely blew up. If you haven't read any of her work, I would personally suggest that you start with The Gifts of Imperfection. I think I bought at least 50 copies of that that I've shared with anybody that will allow me to share it with them. And in any case, what Brene talks about is authenticity, is the cure to shame. And I can tell you that I absolutely practice authenticity in huge part because of Brene. I am very open about what I struggle with. If I get distracted in a meeting, I always will make a joke of it. I talk about my ADHD, you know, I'll say, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, my hyper-creative brain got distracted. What I want you to notice though is I never beat myself up, right? I'm not blaming myself, I'm just talking about how my brain works. I also constantly lose my words, right? I'll start talking about something and I'm going in one direction and then I thought, a new thought will come into my brain and all of a sudden I'm on Tangent Boulevard. And while I'm walking through Tangent Boulevard, I'm not as prepared. And so I will forget terms. I will forget, you know, authors, names, uh, books. But again, I don't beat myself up about it. I'm very open about the fact that I have very limited working memory. And I'm really upfront about that. But what I'll do is when I'm explaining, look, my working memory sucks, I'll weave in the fact that because of this, my intuition is always spot on. I may not remember exactly what I learned in a way that I can explain it, but it's always in there in my brain, right? And so ultimately, I always ask, well, is that really just intuition? No. I have an opinion based on what I learned, even if I can't always repeat it exactly. Again, for every ADHD weakness, there is a huge strength, right? Poor working memory, but I'm highly intuitive. I'm distractible. I struggle to manage my attention, but that also means I'm really creative. If I'm feeling shame about something, if I'm embarrassed about something, I'll just cop to it. And then it's all out there. And normally, truly, we get so worried about this, right? We think that everybody is thinking, you know, poorly of us. And in truth, everyone's thinking of themselves. They're not even thinking about us, right? So they haven't even noticed what we typically think is so awful that has just come flying out of our mouth. And what I notice is if I don't just come right out and say what I'm feeling at the time when I'm uncomfortable, then what happens is I become hyper-focused on, you know, the shame that I feel and just thinking through, oh my gosh, what did I just say? Or, oh my gosh, why can't I remember those words, that title, that author? Rather than if I just let it go and I say what I'm really feeling, then I can actually concentrate on the next thing that I want to say rather than start going down this rabbit hole of me being super anxious. And when I'm anxious, I can't get the right words out. I can't even think of what the words are. So what else can we do to help with um, imposter syndrome? Well, 
mindfulness, meditation, coaching, cognitive behavioral therapy, tapping, right? We have to learn how to control our attention, how to control our thoughts, right? And just becoming aware of our thoughts and what we're thinking is so helpful. Because just because we're thinking it, you've heard me say this many times, just because you're thinking it does not mean it's true. And the beauty of things like meditation and mindfulness is what you're doing is you're basically just training your focus and it really works. Now, we have several podcasts on all of these different um, therapies, somatic therapies, if you want more information. But the truth of the matter is, if you're thinking, oh my gosh, meditation, I can't do that. Know that you don't have to sit down, mindfulness too. You don't have to empty your mind or thoughts. You don't have to be still. You can do it any way that you like that works. Many of my students will practice meditation or mindfulness when they're walking, when they're exercising, when they're waiting in line for something, whatever works for you. For me, I was certain I could never meditate. And usually, you know, they would say, oh, you need to start out by meditating for 15 minutes and then it's 30 minutes and then it's an hour. And just the thought of all that just shut everything down for me. So I want to give you permission that if you want to start meditating, you can literally start with one minute. And it's as simple as start with just looking at a spot. What I always choose is a doorknob. It can be a book on your coffee table. It can be anything that is stationary. So you have your eyes looking at, let's say, the doorknob. But that's not enough because you also need your mind focusing on the doorknob. Because when your mind wanders, you need to make it focus on that doorknob again. So you're just ignoring what's in your brain, you know, those thoughts that are coming up as you're trying to meditate, and you're constantly bringing your mind and your eyes focus back on that doorknob. So I want you to think of your mind as the shepherd and your thoughts are the sheep. So what you're doing is constantly herding your thoughts back to the doorknob. And if they run off, you just bring the little sheep back into the doorknob. It runs off the other one, right? It's kind of like whack-a-mole. One runs off, you bring him back to the doorknob. Then another one runs off, and then you bring him back to the doorknob. And then two run off, and you bring them back to the doorknob. Just quietly, peacefully, no pressure. Make a little game of it. What else helps with imposter syndrome? Start tracking your progress. When you start putting together a list of all of the things that you accomplish every single day, or maybe you should look at it every single week, just, you know, not to put so much pressure on yourself. You realize that, no, it's not luck. It's skill and it's hard work. Start paying attention to the things that you do really well and that you enjoy doing. Those things that you're really interested in. And I think that you will realize that there are certain things that you're really good at. 
Okay, what else? Well, of course, there's medication, right? And when medication really works, I'll tell you, it's life-changing. But, of course, medication is only the beginning. It's not enough all by itself. It is part of your toolkit. What else helps uh, women when they're struggling with imposter syndrome? Community, you know? Community is huge. Realizing that you're not alone. It's just part of ADHD and it's how your brain works. Your brain's not defective, it's not disordered. It just works using a different operating system, right? And you realize that, okay, it's not that big of a deal. And it becomes not as big of a deal when you start sharing how your brain works with other women in your community who also have ADHD and how their brains work. And I think when we realize that we're not alone, that there are other people just like us that, you know, have some struggles in the same area, but they're also really brilliant. That's when we come to discover that, okay, wait a minute. So she is so brilliant. And this one over here is so brilliant. And that one behind me here is so brilliant. So if all three of them are brilliant and I'm here too, what are the chances that I am brilliant too? What else? And I think this one is probably the most important thing. I, I alluded to it um, a little bit ago. ADHD brains are brains of interest. This means that we have to do work that is in our zone of interest. It's all about positive emotion, right? We have to be doing things that we're interested in. And when we do things that we're interested in, we feel really good. We feel a lot of positive emotion. There is no sure way to feel like an imposter than doing work that you have no interest in. So you're not particularly good at it. And even if you're good at it, you don't enjoy it. You don't feel positive emotion from it. So you're never going to be as good as doing those things where you have interest and you also um, are generating tons of positive emotion from it. So focus on your strengths not your weaknesses. None of this shoring up your weaknesses. Just leave them alone, contract them out, give them to someone who does them well because there are people who love to do the things that you don't like to do. And really focus on building your strengths. Look, when you're working in an area of strength, it's really hard to convince yourself that you're not good, that you're an imposter. I think so many of us with ADHD, we're doing work that we're not good at, it's not particularly challenging. And if it is challenging, it's probably not challenging enough. It's not interesting to us, right, this work. And that's where I believe imposter syndrome really grows. So next week, we're going to talk to an amazing woman who is the CEO of a multi-million dollar medical device manufacturer that was founded in 2020. She has built this business up in only a couple of years. And before this, she really struggled with imposter syndrome. Now, I've already recorded the episode, but I loved it so much that I decided to record this episode on imposter syndrome so we'd have a baseline to start with for next week. And so I hope you'll join me next week. Well, that's what I have for you for today. As always, you're listening to ADHD for Smartass Women. If you like this podcast, please let us know by leaving a review. Our goal is to change the conversation around ADHD, helping as many women as we possibly can 
learn how their ADHD brains work so that they too can discover their amazing strengths. And your reviews, they just help. For me, they're like those little gold stars we used to get on our work when we were kids. Again, if this podcast has made a difference in your life, go to spyhappy.me forward slash review. And there are photos and text to show you exactly how to leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll see you here next week. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smart Ass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Outsuka, and we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Not coincidentally, ADHD for Smartass Women, it's also the name of our free Facebook group. We're a totally smartass community of successful, ambitious women who share our ADHD wins, questions, and workarounds. Join us at tracyoutsuka.com, where you can also find more information on our Your ADHD Brain is A-OK system. I spy a happier life for us, and I'll see you again next week.